Hello, welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm William Gallagher, and for one more week, I'm still stepping in for uh, Stephen Robles, who's off on holiday, and hopefully having a very good time, because we haven't actually heard from him. We'll get worried next week if he doesn't come back. In the meantime, as well as, actually this week we have an amazing amount of news to cover, but I also want to exploit this little chance I've got to speak to somebody really interesting about Apple Gear. And in this case, it's somebody who uses Apple Gear in a way I cannot comprehend. We'll see who persuades who later on. It's going to be Wes Hilliard from Apple Insider. Wes, welcome to the show. Hello, William. How are you doing? I'm grand, thanks. I was just thinking, uh, we, we both work on Apple Insider. This is the Apple Insider podcast. We must have corresponded and talked and we've worked on an article together. But this is actually the first time I've got to be able to sit down and have a natter with you. So I'm looking forward to that very much. But let's deal with news. I honestly thought it would be quiet this week. I was very pleased to get this chat. I thought we'll have a chat, but there's so much stuff going on, including stuff that I think you will know far more than I do. Um, it's to do with hardware, Apple Silicon, and this thing that there's, uh, there will be Thunderbolt support, there won't be Thunderbolt support, there will or there won't be external GPUs and things. Uh, do you know what the, the, the latest statement, let's take Thunderbolt first. Uh, how are we losing Thunderbolt forever? It doesn't look like it. Um, at first, uh, it was questionable because Apple was shipping their developer transition kits without Thunderbolt support, but that's likely because they're using the iPad A12Z Bionic chips for those. But um, recently, Intel has announced their Thunderbolt 4 specs uh, in earnest. Just to reiterate, it's basically Thunderbolt 3, but you can use longer cables. Um, Apple kind of shoehorned in on that uh, announcement and said that they're proud to use uh, Intel's Thunderbolt and that they've helped develop it this whole time, and you can expect it to continue to work on future Macs. Hmm. Okay, well, that seems pretty definitive. I just, I just got so silly, I'm embarrassed to say to you, but it always used to be whenever I heard the phrase Thunderbolt 3, I thought of Jerry Anderson and Thunderbirds and the red rocket that goes out. And now we've moved on. I'm thinking of Thunderbird 4, which is the little yellow submarine. And you're just looking at me like this is an English thing you've never heard of. Back away. Um, is Thunderbolt 4 actually useful? It sounds like they're just bunging a number on because they can, if the only difference is the cable's a bit longer. Yes, uh, I'm not completely familiar with the spec, but I originally the uh, transfer speed was so high, I think 40 gigabytes per second, that you'd need extremely short cables less than one meter long to uh, achieve the full speed. But now you can get uh, a little bit more length in there for better setups. And they also introduced, and I think everyone's going to be happy about this, uh, multi-port um, hub support. So you can have up to four ports, I believe, on a hub for USB-C now, Thunderbolt. Well, I, I, I realize I have a hub plugged into my Mac Mini and it's got USB, A, C, probably all of the letters there. But I didn't appreciate that there was a Thunderbolt problem. So previously you were stuck with one cable between one thing. Basically, um, they couldn't uh, split up a port simultaneously between uh, data and power. I think that was the issue. Again, don't um, quote me on this too much, but um, the 
problem with that was uh, you could only have actual hubs with maybe two Thunder uh, Thunderbolt ports um, or full spec uh, Thunderbolt ports. Whereas uh, now you should be able to have more. Does that mean uh, I'm just trying to predict predict what I'm going to be doing in, in the future? Is that going to make Thunderbolt? Uh, four, sorry, I need to say three again. Thunderbolt four, is that going to make Thunderbolt more universally accepted? It, it seems that it's probably going to be the same kind of uh, use cases as we have now. Um, Apple hardware, uh, pro hardware is probably going to be using it as per usual. Uh, USB four is on its way as well. So that's going to bring basically Thunderbolt three capabilities to the USB spec. And I, I would say that's going to be much more universally adopted so you can see faster speeds on most of your devices um, without having to have the Thunderbolt spec. This is more professionally targeted. Ah, when you say professionally targeted, I think expensive. Um, do we know anything about, uh, is Apple going to do its usual thing of charging an incredible amount of money for a cable that's an inch longer than the last one? I'm sure. Yes. They've got to make their money somehow, haven't they? The poor little lambs uh, i'm going off the track here let me get back to that thing that really uh, struck me as uh, quite shocking um the external gpus i i genuinely had not heard of them until mike worthley on apple insider enthused at me on them and he has convinced me completely that they are a great thing but it there's this story i'm hearing that apple thinks not so much and is going to get rid of them am i misunderstanding again i've looked into this a little bit and it appears the documentation for um Apple Silicon is stating that Apple believes their uh, internal GPUs for their chips are going to be very good and not to underestimate them. Um, they haven't specifically said anything about external GPU support, but it does leave uh, the question in the air of uh, how much Apple wants to rely on their own GPUs and um, maybe not others. So it's... Uh it's an omission so far, rather than them coming out and saying, uh, forget it, we're not supporting any of you. They just haven't said that they are yet. Is that fair? That's fair to say. Um, looking at the information we have now, it's uh, basically uh, avoiding the topic again, as <laughs> almost as if Apple avoided the Thunderbolt topic originally. They basically didn't mention anything about it until Intel uh, made this announcement. So maybe once uh, their third-party partners are ready to talk about it, Apple will have something to say. Likely, they yeah. want to get everything um, done under the, you know, under the covers and make sure everything's done before they actually make a, a, a official announcement. That makes sense. That's cautious. I like it when Apple just comes out with "and it's ready today" and things like that, rather than the lots of. I mean, we've got them at the moment saying uh, the two-year roadmap for Apple Silicon, but normally they're a bit better than that. So, yeah, can't fault them for wanting to get it right first. But, oh, but actually, I just suddenly remember uh, when Apple first started supporting uh, eGPUs, uh, some people were surprised that they'd done it, and I'm not, I'm not sure of the situation for that. Um, do you remember what was going on, and were you surprised as well? This uh, actually is something completely outside of my wheelhouse. I don't pay a whole okay. lot of attention to this. Um, not really working from anything uh, heavily Mac-related. So external GPU support is a pretty big deal, but just something that doesn't affect me, so I haven't looked too much into it. 
Do you know, I completely forgot that is actually the, this is I'm, I'm obviously building up something here, the thing we disagree about. And this is related to it. So I can't ask you anything more. I'll skip that. I'll just say fingers crossed for eGPUs. But I like the idea that we don't need them because Apple stuff is going to be so good. That'll be all right. I like that. I actually spent a while considering um, a 13 inch MacBook Pro versus a 16 inch Mac Pro for a, a video editing whole series of projects I've got to do and I was reluctantly coming to the conclusion I'd have to buy a 16 inch one because it has a separate GPU inside it. I know that's not the same as an external GPU but it's separated graphics processing unit and I was very reluctant about it because I think the 16 inch one is gigantic. It's like this boat you're carrying around. Uh, the idea that uh, Apple Silicon will make it will make the smaller one faster. I might be making that up but I'm holding on to that hope. If we get it though, at some point it's going to go wrong and we're going to have to take it in for repairs. And something changed about this week that I know you wrote about on Apple Insider. You know all about, um, I forgot what it's called, this is like a, a, re a repair program. What's going the, on with uh, that? The Independent thing? Repair Provider Program. That's the one. Um, so what difference does it make? Where can I go? So originally um, Apple would allow authorized service providers only uh, to service your Apple devices. So you'd have to go to um, something like the Apple Store or uh, more recently Best Buy to get your stuff repaired. Um, that only added about a thousand stores uh, to the repair program. So while the selection grew, it only grew a slight bit. Then Apple announced their independent repair program, allowing, you know, not so big retailers to apply. So your third-party repair providers uh, will be able to operate out of their own stores. They have to apply through Apple, proving that they're um, an actual business and certified and everything. And they go through the same process and training as authorized service providers, getting the same documentation and help for free. Um, once that's done, they can actually service your products. Apple added about 700 um, of those stores to the U.S. recently uh, through, uh, if I remember, about 120 uh, new providers, and they've actually expanded this project outside of the U.S. to 32 more countries. That all sounds, that all sounds great. In fact, um, that bit there where you said that they get the, the, the training and materials and things for free, I was wondering if this is Apple... Uh, officially saying there's this opportunity for all these repair people but actually the process of getting on it uh if not charges to apple then the the time and the cost is actually so much that businesses wouldn't take it on and apple could carry on happily using its apple stores am i being really cynical and actually apple is doing a great thing here it's a uh, somewhere in between because if you examine this it, it the elephants in the room it's very obvious apple wants to avoid the uh continuous lit litigation on their right to repair uh, movements going on throughout the United States and other countries. Um, not being able to repair your device at home or have access to parts uh, makes people very angry. <laughs> um, obviously, if you own something, you might want to repair it yourself, especially if you have the know-how to do so. But Apple does not believe that to be the case. They should that they should be the ones fixing your very expensive devices. So both sides um, have significant arguments. But at the end of the day, Apple is just trying to avoid um, getting sued, basically. Because 
You'd think they'd be bored if it's a day of the week and they haven't had a new lawsuit. They'd be twitching, but okay, that makes sense. You you actually remind me of, um, you know, of course, because you write a lot about this on Appetite as well, the opening and closing of Apple stores. Uh, when the first stores in here in the UK were reopened, um, somebody was telling me uh, they were there were film crews outside one of the London stores and there was this massive queue going in and here the the response was really seriously for an apple store for a supermarket a pharmacy yes but if you need apples if you could buy it online why in the world would you be queuing around the block in london for this and they interviewed people on it and apparently the giant majority of people in the line were waiting to get things repaired so that was um eye-opening actually just how much repair demand there is here in the UK. It's not that the UK people are just rougher with their Apple gear, is it? Well, if you uh, are listening to this podcast, there's chances you listen to other podcasters, and um, I happen to spend a lot of time doing so myself, and many of them have the same um, quandary here of, oh no, what happens if my very expensive iPhone, Mac, or God forbid Mac Pro decides to um, die today, and I need to take it to get it serviced, where do I go? Well, all these stores being closed, what do you do? You're, are you just going to be without a production machine? Are you going to mail it off and wait a few months, cross your fingers? It's not exactly an ideal situation. No, that's a good point. I used to have this habit that I would keep my last Mac around in case something went wrong. But actually, my last Mac died on its feet. Um, so I had to move to a new machine and I have no backup, which is partly why I've got a certain problem that we might talk about later today. Uh, however, uh, Apple stores, um, it's yet another reason why I want to talk to you about it, because you're the one on Apple Insider that's keeping track uh, of this this madness of closing, opening, closing, opening and things. I mean, madness is the wrong word. I just mean there's so much churn over it uh, and things. What's the, the, the latest with stores reopening and reclosing? How, how are we fixed across the states or across the world? Well, it's actually going pretty well if you look at the world at large. Um, Apple has over 500 stores, and they've opened almost uh, all of them. I think there's only about 100 or so cl still closed, and that's mostly in the U.S. Um, we see these uh, opening and closings happening over and over again in the United States because of how our government and how uh, we we as uh, people are handling the whole coronavirus lockdown and these spikes and Apple is yeah. doing their best to be reactionary or well, actually let me correct that preventative versus reactionary because they don't want these spikes to um, ha happen while in towns where these stores are open and then Apple, you know, be responsible for someone getting this virus. They're, they're doing everything they can to keep up with this. So, in states like Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, where we've seen massive uh, spikes these last few weeks, um, they've begun closing stores again. And it's, you know, two, three, five, up to 50 stores now. Like, it, it happens very quickly. I realize, actually, I don't know where, where you're based. Do, uh, do you have a local Apple store and are you able to go to it? Do you go to it? Well, funny enough, I'm in the middle of a move. I was previously in Virginia Beach. There was two stores right there near me, uh, one actually right across the street. and But now I've moved to Tennessee, where I'm about an hour and a half away from the nearest Apple store. How could you leave somewhere called Virginia Beach? Sounds great. Mind you, Tennessee sounds pretty good as well. 
Okay. Uh, I'm actually into two uh, Apple stores, but I can't go near them. My, my wife is um, on the sort of vulnerable list. And uh, advice here in the UK from the government is so contradictory. I mean, practically minute to minute. The, the population here, we're just kind of ignoring the government and trying to make up our own mind over what we feel safe about. And at the moment, our Apple stores are right in the middle of uh, Birmingham City Centre, Solihull City Centre, big uh, arrangements and I would I want to go in and check out some things but I just can't it's going to be at least a month before I'm near any of them so it's going to feel weird walking into an Apple store um, by then I might have saved up enough money to buy something there though so you know when Virginia Beach reopened we me and my friend visited one of the stores just to get an idea of what was happening with the checkup process and everything and uh, my friend upgraded their iPhone and we went through that whole thing with an Apple employee and it was just very, very strange environment to see a totally empty Apple store in the middle of the day with employees walking around with masks constantly scrubbing down surfaces and it was it was definitely very weird to be there. I remember talking to an Apple store uh, employee about a month before lockdown just in the store waiting for something talking about how they do things and they were already telling me that they they clean everything uh twice a day and their particular wipes for because of all the shared keyboards and stuff so they were already doing that stuff and now yeah apart from the cleaning and the masks it sounds like you could have been in a microsoft store that was harsh i don't think anyone's ever been in a microsoft store to be honest (laughs) i've been by one I was somewhere in California and I saw one right next to an Apple store and I was quite, uh, yeah, poor old Microsoft closing their stores. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is an incredible learning platform that's all online and you can get Masterclass apps on all your devices. When you use Masterclass, you can learn about a wide variety of topics from experts in their field. You can learn about science and scientific thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson. You can learn about the art of negotiation from Chris Voss. You can learn about humor and writing from David Sedaris and so much more. I've actually done the Hans Zimmer course on music scoring, which I loved. And with the whole new SpaceX and NASA collaboration, we're now going back into space after nine years. been brushing up with that Neil deGrasse Tyson course on scientific thinking, communication, space, and astronomy. It's an incredible course. If you love Neil deGrasse Tyson on that Cosmos series, you would love him in the Masterclass. And Masterclass actually has new highlight reels from some of their courses. You've heard me talk about the Chris Voss course on the art of negotiation. I think it is a great course, especially if you're in business for yourself or you're a freelancer. Great tools for communication and negotiating some of those contract deals you may be doing. And his course actually now has a highlight reel that you can watch in Masterclass. I love the Masterclass platform because it's wherever I want to watch it. My Apple TV, my iPad, or my iPhone. And if I want to jump over to audio only because I want to listen while I drive in the car, I can do that on my iPhone. I can switch from audio to video with just the tap of a button. Individual lessons are approximately 10 to 15 minutes in length, and so it can be great to fit in the time you have, like on a lunch break. And whatever you're interested in, whether it's makeup and beauty or humor and writing or cooking, there is a masterclass for you. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass, and as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off the annual all-access pass. And you're going to want to take more than one class. And so when you get that all-access pass, you can watch any of the master classes whenever you want. 
go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. Um, I don't want to get too specific about things I want to buy, but there is one thing that came out this week that I think maybe the two of us might be interested in. Uh, Logitech has released new, uh, I was going to say Apple branded gear, but that's not the right word, um, Apple-specific gear. They've redone their old K380 uh, keyboard and made it Apple-specific. I honestly thought it was. I used to have one, so I loaned it to a friend. But apparently the new version has uh, an Apple key instead of a Windows key. Things are in the right way around, the correct order, and they're in new colours. I so fancy a new keyboard for my Mac. Do you fancy a new keyboard for your iPad or are you sorted out? Well, actually, I recently purchased a mechanical keyboard for my desk setup. Um, got one of those Keychron K2s and I'm loving it so far. Definitely miss it not being at my desk right now, but it's a very nice keyboard. I don't think I'll be upgrading anything anytime soon. So wait, that's a, that's a full mechanical, makes a lot of clacky noises and lights up sort of keyboard. Yeah. Red switches for anyone who's curious. I was going to ask, actually. Okay, so so you're a clacky kind of typer, are you? Not okay. too loud. I don't want it to uh, be booming through the house, but yes, it's not bad. Oh, well, I, I actually learned to type on a manual typewriter, so I'm used to a, a, a raw as I start doing typing with things. So for me, quiet little keyboards, they, I feel like I'm not working. <laughs> They're not making a noise. But it's better for my fingers to use the Apple Magic keyboard. Things. I'm just intrigued by the fact that you like uh, heavy sounding keyboards, but you're a, a strong iPad user. So I'd have thought, you know, the light touch on the screen, that you'd like that somewhere else. But no, you like that combination. Hmm. Being able to switch back and forth is nice. It's a, more of a context thing. You know, I'm at my desk, I'm at work, the heavy duty keyboard you know, or I'm lounging on the couch with my Magic Keyboard with a very mushy feeling and uh, compact design. So it's very, very good on my brain to be able to distinguish between the two environments. All right, I'll tell you what, we do have more news. We've got to cover more news, but I can't wait this wait any longer. Would you like to explain what our big difference in Apple Gear is, or shall I? Well, go ahead. <laughs> the difference is I'm right and you're wrong. There you go. It's easy. <laughs> I would say a fair description is that I am a, as much as I love my iPad Pro, my 2015 iPad Pro, utterly adore it. I am a heavy Mac user and you aren't any kind of Mac user at all. Is that true? Well, to be fair, I have a Mac Mini, but it's more of a refrigerator than a Mac. I keep it for server use. It does all those little automatic download things and I keep my iTunes library locally but that's about all it's for I don't really touch it right no, no, but hang on that mean like all of us you can't survive without a Mac that's what I'm taking away from that oh so. absolutely yeah I don't think I can use my iPad as a server anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> what I was wondering was whether or not you were it, it was a case that you were very pro iPads or in some way anti Macs uh, which is it it's a tough question. Obviously, I'm not anti-Mac. It's just something about the iPad form factor, the software, just how everything mashes together just uh, clicks for me. It, it, it works. I like being able to 
shift it from one device to another, whether it be a tablet or a laptop or a desktop with a monitor, you know, it's that kind of system and no Mac can really touch that, even though a Mac is more versatile in software and it can let you do things like Xcode and sideload uh, software, but those are just things I don't need in my daily life. So the iPad covers all the bases. I didn't see any reason to uh, do otherwise. Did you um, uh, come to this conclusion and then buy the iPad or, or is this kind of taken time to go this way? I was on this show uh, a few weeks ago. I can't remember the exact number. I think 280 something, uh, 287. But I discussed this a little bit. It was a, it was a gradual change over time. I actually switched from Android back in the day. Um, Windows, Android, very heavy user. It, if you knew me in 2014, I was praising the Google gods. Um, but the uh, biggest difference here is, is just um, over time, I grew tired of the constant... Uh, barrage of updates needed, drivers needed, please disconnect your hard drive before, uh, un or unmount it before disconnecting it, and just all the little tweaks and things that come along with using a desktop class computer, it's just feels older. Even though you can buy the newest hardware and it zips along, something about that system felt um, a little old. But Apple, every time they update something with the iPad, it just started catching my eye as, wow, this looks like it's going somewhere. Uh, it's growing into quite the platform. And I bought one and used it for a while alongside a MacBook. And I just felt like I was using the iPad more and more. And eventually I realized there was nothing I couldn't accomplish on the iPad that I was doing on the Mac. So I just kind of did uh, what Federico Vitici did over at Mac Stories and uh, kind of followed his lead and started using the iPad as a daily driver. Do you, I mean, okay, you just said there's nothing you couldn't do with it. I mean, you did say about the server earlier, but I get it in, you, in For me personally. all your, your day-to-day -day work, all your day-to-day, -day, yeah, your personal life and things. But do, uh, is that completely without compromise? Is there nothing you had to give up or change to make it work? Obviously, there's going to be some uh, weirdness, some things. Um, uh, when I first uh, completely ditched the Mac, that was about, if I remember correctly, 2017. Um, there were obvious things. You couldn't use a mouse uh, properly or you couldn't connect external storage. There was a lot of compromise to be made. And luckily, Apple has been addressing those things over time. But even now, there's still things that just don't work quite right. Um, or weird limitations Apple has on their software that really shouldn't be there. Uh, for instance, the Photos app on the iPad, you can label faces, you know, you grab a little circle and label your faces manually on the Mac. On the iPad, you cannot do that. So if the Photos app doesn't recognize a face, there's no hope for you. You can't label it. You have to go to a Mac and do it. Or another strange instance just carried over from iOS software of Contacts app not letting you manage your groups. You have to have a third-party app like CardHop in order to manage your groups in contacts. You can't do it on iOS or iPadOS. It's a crazy omission. doesn't make sense. I didn't know that. I mean, I use CardHop because I like CardHop. I didn't appreciate that difference. Okay. Good old CardHop then. We should put a link to CardHop in the notes just in case anybody hasn't had it. Um, I don't, I think my difference here comes down to the fact that I don't use these features. I don't use face recognition, but mostly because about 
12 years ago now, I was working on uh, Radio Times, just like the UK equivalent of uh, TV Guide. And I, I had some job that was to do with the covers. The covers of this magazine are very famous as parties about them. There are books about them. I wrote a book about them. But um, I had to collate them all. And for some reason, they ended up in photos. And now every time I go into face identification, it has uh, like David Tennant's face from Doctor Who on there. None of my relatives or friends or me, just oh, no. countless people from BBC shows and things like that. So it's become kind of worthless. And I don't know how to undo all of that. Okay. I mean, it's about the my... context. Sorry. Oh, sorry. A lot of my computer usage before joining Apple Insider was focused around you know, casual use like anyone else or uh, photography. I really enjoyed going out and taking photos or doing photo shoots for my friends. And um, so, yeah, some of that definitely stems from uh, wanting to have better like photo features and whatnot. There's other, uh, th th those are very obvious, very Apple specific issues. The bigger picture issues being um, I mentioned before Google apps uh, we use Google Docs for work and their apps are just not optimized. Their websites do not work on iPad the way you want them to. You have to fight them every step of the way to get anything done in those apps on an iPad. I, I really admire Google's software and the features of it, but uh, admiration is different to using. I find them all really ugly uh, on Mac or iPad, so I just don't tend to go for them but i think i'm missing out there's lots of stuff I, I wish i could do with apple mail for example that i know you can in gmail so one day they'll all talk together nicely won't they no no <laughs> no okay oh well i tell you this is getting a bit more esoteric maybe but um i when i use ios uh a lot and we'll confess in the moment that we are using it right now i use shortcuts a huge amount but then on my mac i have keyboard maestro at hazel all these things uh do you use much automation well all that there really is on ipad is um shortcuts i do use that for work and i have uh, several personal shortcuts that i use uh, we discussed that on the uh the same episode i mentioned before oh, uh, right. we had a little shortcuts talk but um just to reiterate uh just like uh, the iTunes movies deals post I make every week. Um, I generate that using a shortcut. Pretty much 90% of the data I enter comes from that shortcut. And then I have to go in and manually edit a few things. Or I use, um, outside of that, I use keyboard shortcuts. So I don't have keyboard maestro and I can't execute commands from there. But I can at least have pre-filled out text that I can quickly type. Which helps out quite a lot when the writing in links and whatnot for our pages. I use uh, Text Expander for some of that, and it, and it is available on Macs, iPad, Android, iOS, Etch-a-Sketch, everywhere, and things like that. Uh, but you tend to do it through shortcuts or something like that, something built well, the, in. The keyboard um, settings in iOS, you can actually create your own custom keyboard shortcuts so like you type out a word or a phrase and it'll expand into a full phrase it's a very rudimentary version of what texas expander offers but it works for me this episode is brought to you by expressvpn you ever notice that when you search for something online all of a sudden you'll see ads everywhere for that thing sometimes you just want to search for something online and not worry about being tracked or have others know what you're searching for you might be thinking well i'll just use incognito mode but incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, 
I don't go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon, Comcast, Frontier, or Spectrum. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet service provider can't see the sites that you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I forget that ExpressVPN is running. I leave it on on my Mac, my iPad, or my iPhone, and it runs in the background. That's how easy it is to use. You tap one button, and you're protected. And ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, tablets, even your smart TV. There's no excuse why you can't be using it. So protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider. expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Uh, if you're an iOS user, a heavy iPad user, are you willing or able or tempted to run the beta versions of iOS 14, iPadOS 14, or what? Well, for me, I'm a crazy person, and I don't advise <laughs> anyone do this, but I am running iPadOS on my primary iPad Pro and iOS 14 on my iPhone. I have the Mac beta installed. Everything has it, except for one little thing. I have this iPad mini over here on iPadOS 13. Just in case everything crashes and burns, I can still work from there uh, to the worry of my lead editor. <laughs> At least we do it on a Mac. I mean, please, seriously, nobody should do this. Um, I speak from experience here. I have burnt. Uh, I burnt an iPhone some years ago, but I couldn't get it to work ever. No, somebody fixed it for me in the end, but it took weeks. Um, if you're on a Mac, at least you could boot from an external drive and, and have it working and things. If your iPad goes, it's isn't it just murderously difficult to step back or undo a beta? It's a process, but it actually isn't as catastrophic as some people make it seem. The key here is to have a backup from the iPadOS 13 version. So that way you can easily do a factory restore, install that. But the problem is, is uh, sometimes you encounter some errors. You might need a Mac with the new version of Xcode to get everything reset properly. So it can definitely turn into a real headache if you don't know exactly what you're doing. Well, I have a problem with my Mac Mini that I bought 2018. I love my Mac Mini, but I got it with the smallest amount of SSD space available because that's what I could afford. I do not have enough room to install Xcode on it to fix a problem like this. So I, I have put iOS 14 on a spare-ish iPhone, but I'm not putting anything else on anything, except I've got to admit, I am a little tempted because it seems to me that this beta cycle is already more stable than I think it was last year. Um, is that, am I just lucky or does it seem stable to you? Well, I have the curse of always having the latest and greatest. And I, I believe Apple optimizes specifically for those devices um, from people who have older devices like uh, Mike Worthley and uh, I think Andrew um, O'Hara, our video guy, both have installed these betas on iPhone 10R, 10S era devices, and those are almost two years old now, and they are struggling. 
with a lot of basic features or getting random boot loops. So not everyone is having the perfect jolly time with uh, okay. iOS 14. Oh, that's worrying. I was genuinely considering this. When the second beta dropped this week, I seriously considered putting it on my main iPhone. But I'm going to be sensible. And I thank you for this, I think. And so you're obviously much more familiar with beta software than I am. I am, you can hear it in me, I'm afraid, as much as I want to use it, I'm a little afraid of losing access to machines that I rely on so much. But on this spare-ish iPhone, I've now put two betas of iOS 14, the first and the second. And in both cases, I noticed features I know are there weren't uh, for at least a couple of hours. Like, you know, the, um, the app library. And the first version of the beta, I ran it, installed it, everything's working. There was no app library. And then a little while later, there was, but it only showed me uh, recently downloaded apps. And then the next morning when I picked it up, it's all there and working. And then with beta 2... I pulled it in and I wanted to see what was new about widgets. And you know, when you edit the home screen, you now get a plus button in the top corner, you can add widgets. I didn't, there was no plus button. But about an hour later, when I picked it up to try something else, uh, there it was. How can it be that betas aren't, they take a while to work? Is that unfathomable to you? It uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me how some of these things fall apart. It th Sometimes these things break very uniquely. So the, it's just the way Apple connects all of their software and hardware because everything being so tightly knit, you never want to under, look under that hood. It'd probably just be a chasm of snakes. It's, it's insanity. So I, it's probably one of those things where you're updating the device and everything is trying to catch up. Um, those first few hours of any beta or new install, uh, your phone is just burning the battery away trying to process all the new information. So that might be what you're running into. Mm, that makes more sense. When you say it that way, it reminds me of things like um, uh, Spotlight on a Mac uh, used to take a while to kind of get its act together and index everything and stuff before it would actually work. I seem to remember that being quite a slow process. And that makes sense as well, a lot of data to handle for it. I realized actually I tried to dodge something earlier when we were talking firstly about your being an iPad uh, only user chiefly and then about the fact that you're a beta user. I feel we should probably come on and become come clean now about what's going on at this very moment. You are on a beta set of everything. I am on a Mac that's properly on Mac OS Catalina everything up to date nothing going on with it at all except Everything's gone wrong with it at all. I lost the use of my Mac and the whole internet connection and everything a minute and a half before we were supposed to speak. So this entire episode is in fact iOS based. Um, did you do this to me to win the point? Oh yeah, I sent the gremlins specifically to your house. Thanks. Okay, I mean, you see, I know you know your stuff. I blame you for this. It's unfathomable to me that my entire internet connection has gone down and yet my iPhone is working on that same internet connection for it this is this is not technology anymore this is alchemy and I, I, we should have the alchemy insider podcast and incant and incantations and it's about i'm just you got to stop me now i'm going off on one it's very frustrating i think it's fantastically um revealing of how dependent we become on our devices the moment we lose them i i have been working for about eight hours ten hours today writing different bits 
deeply absorbed in the work and then suddenly it was all taken away from me and it's like losing you know ch chopped off at your arms kind of thing by this it's probably not healthy to be this dependent do you, are you good at switching off machines and walking away Generally speaking, uh, not too much. I spend a lot of my time at work, obviously, working from these things. And when I get off, it uh, basically switches to some other app or thing I'm doing. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, you shouldn't be like that. You should get out there. I mean, particularly in Tennessee, of all the places, you should enjoy your local environment. But I'm relieved because I'm the same. Uh, one thing I utterly loved that I have not yet found for myself on um, iOS 14 because I'm not running it on my actual iPhone, is this thing that you you can uh, change your watch face using a shortcut. So you can have your watch face change from your work hours to your leisure time hours, exactly at whatever time you're expected to finish. I really fancy that. Uh, have you been mucking around with anything like that? Because you are a shortcuts user. Uh, are you delving into that yet? I haven't. Uh, quite had time, obviously, in the middle of a big move, but um, it's definitely intriguing to me. I have the beta on my watch because, again, I'm a crazy person, but uh, definitely want to set up the watch faces changing throughout the day. That's a really cool idea. I already have watch faces for you know bedtime or uh, daytime or exercise, so just having those go off with certain automations would definitely uh, be useful. Wait, what? Exercise? Yeah, let's not go into that. No, no, no. That's <laughs> fine. That's cool. But... I'm sorry, you have the beta of watchOS 7. You have all of your devices, bar that one solitary iPad mini, are fully dependent on beta software. You are a bad example to the world. But is it fun? Are you enjoying it? They're very, very fun, yes. Uh, no, no problems here, no boot loops, actually. It's uh, very impressive. The one thing I heard about boot loops is somebody was saying... Um, Actually, it's Rosemary Orchard on the Automators podcast. I think she's a great podcast. She was saying that she washed her hands and uh, that feature kicked in, did what it was supposed to do, but then kept looping and rebooted her watch. Other than that, I think she said she was having no problems. Uh, are you finding, is the watch as steady as everything else at the moment? Yes, uh, no noticeable changes. I use it for sleep tracking. I totally uninstalled all of my other sleep tracking apps and have been using Apple's bedtime feature and sleep tracking and all of that and uh, no issues and no battery life problems, funny enough. It just lasts the whole night and the whole day the next day without too much issue. Really? That's very impressive. Okay. I mean, I, I, I was amused during uh, the keynote speech. I can't remember quite how they phrased it, but they tried to make a virtue out of the fact that, you know, you could, if you want to, put your, phone, your watch on charge in the morning after you've slept. And I read that as, we're going to cream your battery, you're going to be struggling. But even in the beta, you're saying, not so much. Yeah, if I had woke up this yeah. morning and went for a run, uh, I'd probably be much worse off for wear. But right now, I'm at about 54%, and that's since I wore the watch probably about 8 p.m. last night at a 100% charge. So I'm doing pretty good so far. I'm on 69% and it's been uh, 12 hours that my thing has been on since charging. Okay, that's uh, what, uh, what version of the watch have you got? Uh, the, sorry, the Series 5, uh, the bigger one. Oh, right, I've got the bigger Series 4 things. I forgot you said you are on the latest and greatest. Does that mean, uh, I don't know, is that just a fluke of where you are now or are you going to switch over to the Series 6 when that comes out? 
I'm pretty sure I'll get the Series Six. Um, I think they would they could just call it the Series Six, and I would buy it at this point. But um, hopefully, <laughs> they give us some nice features for it. But yes, I expect to upgrade. Right. Um, and and what are you uh, planning to do with your Series Five at all? <laughs> Those um... usually get uh, sold off to a friend or passed along somewhere. Okay. Right. Do you use? The, uh, you obviously use it because it's there at the time. Are, are you? Uh, conscious of and enjoying the always-on stuff of the Series 5. It's had its moments uh, driving. Instead of having to jerk my wrist off the wheel and flip it around and try and wake up the face or touch it with my nose, I can just look and see uh, what's happening on the screen. It's much better. I truly thought I was the only one who noses his watch every now and again. Um, I think I probably wish it was. Actually, we shouldn't talk about that kind of thing. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember being uh, really impressed when Apple came out with that, and it was the feature that made me want to trade in my 4, but it was the only feature that made me want to do it, so maybe I'll be tempted by the 6 as well. Uh, I mean, I lasted on the original watch for a very long time, so I maybe in that case I'm the opposite of you. I have the cheapest, oldest Mac Mini. I have a 2015 iPad Pro, the screen of which is is so uh, it's not broken or cracked but it's no longer responsive in a lot of places and i have uh, an old watch that i hang on to forever plus i'm a mac guy you're an ipad guy i'm surprised we're even talking <laughs> frankly in fact i'm tempted to slam the phone down except there is one last thing i would like your opinion about please because of what you know particularly about ios this i wrote a new story this week um based on the fact that there seem to be a number of users who are finding Apple Music, uh, the app, um, when they're running iOS 13.5.1, Apple Music app is draining their battery noticeably. And not only noticeably while they're playing it, even if they don't have an Apple Music subscription and are not playing anything through it, they are seeing heavy usage and a noticeable drop in battery life. I, I am a heavy Apple Music user. I am a subscriber for it. I've had nothing of this at all. Uh, and in fact, I don't think anyone on Apple Insider has. So I can't work out what's causing it. But uh, uh, do you have any idea why one app could be affecting some people and not others? It's hard to say. Pro probably just a bug in background task management. Uh, anything like that goes wrong and it could just suck down the battery life. But I'm sure an update will uh, fix that issue because, I mean, it's not happening over on iOS 14, as far as I can tell, so. Oh, that's a good point. I forgot about that, yes. Uh, and actually, wouldn't you normally expect battery problems uh, on beta? Because I think batteries is the last thing they will figure out, isn't it? Yes, the battery life seems to be the last thing they optimize for. Uh, as older devices and batteries, the, the, the final thing out the gate as they release it to everybody. All right. Well, that, I mean, you can see that isn't, they want to make it work first, then they want to make it work better. That makes sense. But weirdly, just as the last thought in my head uh, before we finish tonight, I, it just suddenly occurs to me that come September or October, whenever it is that we get the new iPhones and the new watch, um, aren't you going? You're not going to have as much fun as anybody else because you already have played with the software extensively for months. Are you going to be let down by the? new releases well the summertime betas let me play with everything apple's done but then the uh, official release lets me play with everything the third party people are going to be doing so i'll have a whole another round of fun coming to me once this releases 
Oh, that is a perfect answer. Thank you very much for that. Can't top that. No more calls. We have a winner. I am so looking forward to OmniFocus uh, as a widget on iOS 14. Let's just put that out there. But um, Wes, where can people find you when they need to? Well, I'm Hilly Tech on Twitter. You'll find a link in the show notes. Okay. And I'm W Gallagher. And as of next week, it's back to Stephen Robles. He'll come in and apologize for all the damage we've done over the last two weeks, but hopefully he'll tell us how he has had a proper holiday away from screens. And we'll be listening in to see what he says about that. Thanks, Wes. Really good to talk to you at last. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye.